0: my praying people, and welcome to the Prayer Clinic Podcast. This week, I'm going to be introducing you to another one of my good friends, Sonia Thalman. Sonia is... my neighbor just just about. She lives down the road a little ways from me. She's also a former colleague. She and I work together in the prayer clinic ministry. In fact, Sonia helped me start the prayer clinic podcast. Sonia is the mother of two teenage daughters, and she is the wife of Jason, Sonia and Jason, and um, she serves excuse me, in the marriage helper ministry as a marriage coach. You're going to hear a little bit more about that and about um, how her ministry with marriage helpers is really a testimony to um, the love that Jesus has for women. And especially for women that have... um, made poor choices at certain seasons in their lives and I did not choose Sonia for this podcast um, because of poor choices. I in fact had um, asked her to participate in part of the series and she asked if she could do this podcast with me and together she and I are going to be talking about two scandalous women. We're going to spend a little time with the woman at the well And then also with the woman who was caught in adultery. And in both of these conversations, we're going to see how um, just radically different Jesus was in his interactions with women than any other men were in the culture of that day. And I hope that as you listen to this podcast, you will be encouraged, you'll be empowered, you will um, know that no matter what you've done in your past, it it can have zero impact on in any way destroying your future. In fact, God can actually take all of the mistakes of our past and do a beautiful work of transformation so that those very things become catalysts for um, ministry where we get to um, take our place in advancing His kingdom. So it's just an exciting podcast. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. And you're going to love Sonia and her sweet nature as she shares how um, Jesus has impacted her life today in relationship to the impact that he made on these scandalous women that we find in the Bible. Hello, my praying people. I have had such a good time in this Truth About Women series that we've been doing this summer. And today is an extra special day and an extra special recording to me because my good friend Sonia Thalman is joining me as we are about to talk about these scandalous women that Jesus met. But Sonia is so special to me because she actually was um, working alongside and partnering with me when we birthed this prayer clinic podcast. And so, it was a lot of her coaching that had an impact on how I got started podcasting, and and we're still figuring out what we're doing as we go along, but (laughs) so if there's any things we're not doing right, that's on us, but all the things we're doing right, that's on Sonia and all her good coaching, and so anyway, but it's my delight to have her here today. Sonia is uh, my neighbor in my community. She and her family are part of our church. Her girls are in our youth ministry. She and her husband have been an active part of our church for a little while. So um, Sonia, thank you for being on today's podcast with us. And I want you to take a few minutes just to kind of introduce yourself. Tell us about your husband and about your girls and kind of where y'all are in life right now. And then we'll jump into our conversation. Well, thank you
1: so much for that beautiful introduction, and I'm so excited <laughs> to just be doing this podcast with you, Leanne, and um, I actually never thought that I would be a guest on the Prayer Clinic podcast, so <laughs> this is really exciting for me. Um, yes, I am Sonia Thelman, and I have two beautiful children. They are 14 and 17 years old. Um, one of them is about to be a senior, so we're entering mm-hmm. that stage of life, which is exciting and nerve-wracking and all the things,
0: and mm-hmm.
1: then um, our youngest child who is 14 about to enter into her sophomore year and um, my husband he is works for a great company and is a wonderful provider and we're just at a stage in our lives that we're just doing so well we've Mm. overcome a lot in the last six years so we are just so blessed to to be where we're at And I am blessed to be where I'm at right now in my work. I love the the purpose that I have now and um, what I am doing to serve God. Um, So what that is, is I work for a company called Marriage Helper, and I've recently become a marriage coach. And it is such an honor to talk to these individuals that, you know, come to me on a daily basis that their marriages are falling apart and that I'm able to use my story and, you know, my perspective to help save their marriage. And that is the ultimate goal is to, you know, save these marriages and lower that divorce rate and, you know, teach them the importance of keeping families together and all of those things. So I'm just so honored and blessed to serve God in that way.
0: That is so cool. And I know you've got to be terrific at that. And what a, what a great ministry to be in. Our families are incredibly important and to be able to have a, a husband and a wife who love each other and a mom and a dad in the home who are Christ centered rearing their children it's just so it is to me it's the most powerful building block of our whole society and so yay yay for marriage helpers and yay for your your coaching with them so we'll do a little blurb for marriage helpers if your marriage needs help you can contact them Sonia how's the best way for somebody to get in touch with marriage helpers I would suggest
1: you go on YouTube and type in marriage helper, or just go to, you know, your search engine, marriagehelper.com. And Mm -hmm. there's tons of videos, tons of free resources. And yes, if your marriage is in crisis, or if you want to strengthen your marriage, rebuild your marriage, all of those things, save your marriage, definitely go to marriage helper. Okay, very
0: good. And the leader, the founder of Marriage Helper is actually mine and Tom's almost next door neighbor. We have one house in between us. So anyway, that's a we we totally support and wholeheartedly. Um, support this ministry heard so many great things about it and great things coming out of it and I'm so excited that you're working for them in that way and so this summer we've been talking about um, the truth about women and it, all of this um, the listeners who've been listening to the whole series know that this all transpired with an invitation from the two my husband being the the lead pastor at our church and then also our associate who asked me to bring the message of the tr- called The Truth About Women on Mother's Day? And it was with fear and trepidation that I stood up to um, deliver that message. And then I was surprised at how hard it was to just speak truth about women in our culture today. And that's what then, I guess kind of awakened something in me that made me think, goodness, there is much truth that needs to be shared. And that's what we've been doing throughout the summer. And so we've gone from um, kind of the beginning, the origins of women. We've talked a little bit about um, the role of women and the what we can... Um, know about God's relationship to women throughout the Old Testament, and then we've jumped into the New Testament, and last week we did a podcast with Rachel Lovingood and talked about um, two women that were goodness my mind just went blank that were desperate two desperate women that was it and then today we're going to be talking about two scandalous women and so these two women that we're going to talk about today are the woman at the well and we find her story in John chapter 4 and then um, we're going to talk another little part of our time together about the woman who was actually caught in the very act of adultery and um, we'll unpack that part of the story too her story is found in John chapter eight and um but let's talk about them one at a time we're going to first talk about this woman at the well so Sonia um do you want to tell the story or you want me to tell the story about the woman at the well I'll let you tell the story okay I'll tell the story then I will um so this woman was a Samaritan woman and the significance of that was that some Samaritans were not um uh how we say they had much racial tension between them and the Jewish people so much so that even though all the travel was kind of north and south in Jesus's time and the life of his ministry but people like him who would travel back and forth would go way out of their way to avoid the whole area that the Samaritans lived in and it's kind of interesting because even today in Israel there are parts of the land that Jewish people do not go in, Palestinians do not go in, so there's still this tension that you have there between um people that have various historical backgrounds samaritans were similar to the jewish people and i won't go into all the history of that just know they did not get along with each other at all and so jesus and his disciples had walked through samaria anyway i guess to make better time or whatnot and at lunchtime jesus actually sent the disciples on, and he sat down at jacob's well and um by himself while his disciples went to go find something to eat and when he sat there the Samaritan woman came to draw water and she was drawing water in the middle of the day which in and of itself was unusual and then um, he struck up a conversation with him, and when you read the dialogue in John chapter 4, you see that she is kind of taken back by that, because Jewish men, one man didn't speak to women, period, Samaritan men or women didn't speak to this woman, that's why she was going to the well at the middle of the day, she was an outcast in her own people, and so for him to cross the barriers of one Samaritan, And then two, a man speaking to a woman, three, doing it when nobody else was around, like so many things. He was blasting through so many things that he was not supposed to be doing in that culture in order to have this conversation. So that kind of sets it up for you. And then they have this just amazing conversation that results in her being the very first person, man or woman, who gets to hear out of Jesus's own mouth that I am he, I am the Messiah. He identifies himself as the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah. And she's the one who gets to hear it. So you just can't, you know what I did, Sonia, when I was prepping for our talking and I watched this little excerpt from the um the series. Is it on um the series called The Chosen? And I watched mm-hmm. it, you know, this little blurb take place. And they do such a good job in the chosen of taking that whole um first century jewish world but then in the way they're building the dialogue in the chosen series which is all just chronicling the life of jesus is making it communicate to our world today like they're doing it with very much intentionality without digressing too terribly from the you know from handling the scripture with great integrity i think so anyway that was um it just really sparked how crazy wild it was for them to even have this conversation and then um just the impact it had on her because Jesus had chosen her to be the one to hear so there's our story and so we find this woman at the well um, getting this um, powerful conversation and um, I wanted to talk about maybe what your thoughts are and what that must have been like like if you had been this woman like what would this have been like for you?
1: Wow. Well, first of all, I mean, I think about
0: even
1: even today, you know, if I were in the presence of Jesus and he yeah. was right in front of me, like how overwhelming that would be. And, yeah. you know, just so, you know, nerve wracking. And I mean, yeah, that would just be,
0: um, I wouldn't know what to think. I'd be, right. <laughs> I would have no words. <laughs> right. I have no words. Right. And even if you, especially once you kind of realized who you were talking to, of course, by then she'd already had such a conversation with him that I, I don't know. I mean, cause like if I had known that Jesus had arrived and I was talking to him, it would have been like my favorite professor at college. Like I never felt comfortable talking to even, you know, somebody just said, I respected like that. But some of the beauty of this is Jesus didn't reveal who he was till after they were engaged quite a bit in the conversation, you know? So she couldn't back up and yeah. be like, "Oh, whoa, wait," because they'd already gotten to an intimate level of conversation. Yeah,
1: right, right. Well, and also just for her to have the the courage, knowing that she wasn't supposed to be speaking, you yeah. know, to to him or really anyone, right, at that point in time. And so just to have the courage to be able to to have dialogue and, yeah. um, you know, just put herself out there.
0: Yeah. One of the things that when I watched that little blurb from The Chosen that it kind of emphasizes, she said, people don't see me. They don't talk to me. They don't see me. Have you, have you ever been in a place in your own life where you felt like, I'm not seen, I, I don't matter, I'm not important?
1: Yeah, for sure. I feel like I went through a period of time in my life where I I didn't feel seen or I didn't feel heard. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, one, one time that really stands out to me is when I was in a corporate setting and I was the only woman in the office amongst all of these men. And Mm -hmm. it was on a daily basis that I had to work with these men. And I really had to find like where my place was and how I was going to kind of insert myself into not feeling that I couldn't be outspoken or not feeling intimidated intimidated by mm-hmm. you know these these older men and being the only woman in the office and so that um it took me a long time to feel seen and heard and to make a place mm-hmm. for myself
0: wow that's interesting because you know I've talked with other women and and of course all my professional work has been in the ministry world too and you would think it might not be there but it, it still is there women It's just we have a unique little path and a unique balance to kind of have in the workplace in that if we come on too strong, we're seen as incredibly aggressive, and then if we don't say anything, then we get you know, you like, your voice is not heard. And so they don't get, they don't receive the contribution that you have to offer. And so it is a real kind of delicate thing to manage even today in many corporate and even ministry kind of settings and in kind of more male dominated atmospheres, I should say. But of course, you know what, Sonia, I worked in an all women's atmosphere too, and it's got its own set of challenges as well. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it makes, it kind of makes me sad a little bit because, you know, you want to women supporting women, right. And, yeah. you know, we all want to just kind of lift each other up, but there is, there's right now, it just seems to be that, you know, sometimes it's so competitive, even in the women versus women mm-hmm. space that, you know, mm-hmm. I wish that, you know, we could look at it a little bit differently and just knowing that we're all here to support each other. And even in the, in the male space too, right. Just mm-hmm. let's just how can we support each other? How can we work together knowing our differences, knowing our personalities, our behavioral styles, all of those things? How can we work that to our advantage so we can, you know, come together for the common good of whether it's in the workplace or in in ministry, whatever that looks like.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's good because I feel like in an atmosphere where there's no fear and where people are valued for like who they are and, um, one of the neat things about Jesus's encounter with this woman at the well is he did just go ahead and oh, it's okay. Is how Jesus was um, just going straight to the very thing that she wouldn't want to talk about necessarily. Like, mm, yeah. so I guess I'm just asking you to respond and like, like, think about what, what, what do you think his motive was? And then, you know, what's your thoughts on how she responded?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, you know, he was just I mean, could be coming from a place of, you know, let me feel let me help you feel comfortable talking to me. Let me help mm-hmm. you feel like I know your I know your past, I know your pain, and mm. um, you know, maybe building that trust. Let me mm-hmm. help you let's build trust together so you can talk
0: to me and you can share mm-hmm. these things with me
1: that I already know about
0: you. Yeah, that's good. I think that probably would be what Jesus would be coming from. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then her response was just, well, I see that you're a prophet, so any thoughts about that?
1: Um, Well, I probably a little bit of, um, you know, shock and embarrassment and, Uh you know, just not you know, not sure her place and, um, you know, what, what really she should, how she should
0: proceed
1: in in conversation with them.
0: Yeah, that's good. And so then the next thing she does, I mean, I I think that's a really good insight because I don't know how I would have answered that question if you had asked it to me either, (laughs) but, um, because then she follows it straight up with a religious question. She goes back to a safe space, you know? She says, well, your people worship here and our people worship here. And so she's trying to shift it, the conversation to let's not talk about me and all of my sordid details. Let's talk about religion. Let's just talk about that because that's safer. And then, of course, you know, Jesus follows that up with, well, that's really not what matters so much. What matters is that you worship me with spirit and truth. And it's all about what is in your head and what is in your heart. And um, you know, then that's as they as they um, proceed in the in the conversation. So, um, how, how does that relate to what your observation is of the way we have conversations today in our culture, and how do we have real conversations that really get to the heart of the matter? Well, that's a loaded question, isn't it? Sorry about that.
1: <laughs> that is a loaded question. And I feel like even in my line of work, it is really trying to get to the heart of the matter. But in, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm talking to people and you know, first of all, it's that building rapport, right? And just knowing that, mm-hmm. and I'll just kind of go into because from my perspective and and like I said in my line of work, mm-hmm. I am there to not place judgment. I am here to support you. And I, you know, am mm-hmm. here to to let's build trust, let's build rapport. And then it helps with the dialogue of really getting down to the root of the issue. And, you know, it requires a lot of asking Hmm. questions. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's really what coaching is about is asking a lot of questions and mm-hmm. helping them kind of navigate their own answers and helping them navigate yeah. like, oh, well, I didn't think about it that way. Or, oh, um, you know, yeah, I, I may have done this or I may have done that. So um, that's that's oh, the that's way that
0: I, that I can think about it, in yeah. my, like I said, in my yeah. lane of work. Well, that really lines up, then you can truly see that in this in- interaction that they're having is that's kind of the approach he's taking because he's he's mm-hmm. helping her come to her conclusions, which is really a great coaching tip for us. If we're thinking about sharing Jesus or our faith in the world today with others, it's to find um, common ground and then um, know how to ask good questions so that we can help people come up with their own it's almost like he puts a light out there and then he lets them find her way he helped her find her way to the light and when she gets almost there he's like it's me it's me I'm telling you it's me you know she's like yay I cannot believe you've just shared that with me like I just to me that's the sweetest thing is that here she came to the well on a normal day, feeling her normal, broken, messed up life with probably no hope for the future and much regret from the past. And Jesus just is there and he meets her right there where she is. And, and then he, he heaps so much acceptance, non-judgment and value on her that her whole outlook has changed, you know. Yeah. So. yeah. And, you know,
1: Jesus meeting you right where you are and you, you know, think I, I have so many like instances where I can, I can remember like Jesus meeting me right where I was not feeling worthy, not feeling love, not feeling, you know, just good about myself feeling just in my mess. And he met me right where he, he, right where I was and just the sense of, I, I can, You know, even going back when I was in my own marriage crisis and, you know, going back to feeling that way and knowing kind of had that almost like that aha moment where I felt Jesus, I felt Jesus. He was there for me. He had me, he was holding me and I put all my faith and my trust in him Mm -hmm. knowing
0: that I was going to be okay. Oh, that's a sweet place to be, and that had to be kind of what she was feeling, because when she realized that he had just revealed this to her, everything changes, because the other remarkable part of the story is she does this, and immediately she's like, I'm going to go tell everybody, and so here's this woman that didn't even want to see people in the street, is now going to go back and gather everybody together and tell them who she's just met, and what I was thinking today when I was reading that, I thought, you know, nothing changed in her village, nothing had happened there, so whatever she left that she felt was so oppressive was the same when she got back, and yet it no longer felt oppressive because something had changed in her, and Uh I, so, I mean, what do you, because to me, I thought, oh, then it really is a change of mind and heart, a transformation God can do in us that doesn't have anything to do with you know, the circumstances that we're living in. Speak to that a little bit. Well, I think that that's where you gain all of that confidence,
1: right? And when you Mm. know that, you know, that, You know Jesus is with you and you know Jesus has got you and you just have this sense of like you said it's just in your mind and in your heart and you just know and Mm. you know just feeling very proud she was very proud right to to go share this you know what she had had learned and what she had seen
0: Well, and I also did a little bit of research on women in the this day and age, because a lot of times we look at it and we bring, you know, whatever we think it might have been like to the table, but actually in the Old Testament, women had more respect and honor in the culture than they did by the time we got to New Testament times, and the difference was the influence of the Hellenistic or the Greek culture, so it was the influence of what, what people today will say is, oh, it was Christianity, and it was the the, um, biblical narrative that created the patriarchal um, oppression, but that is not so, because we've been lining that up, that's not the biblical narrative, and then in the first century um, Jewish culture, the Hellenistic culture, which is the Greek culture, had inundated Jewish thought, and in that, in their culture, in the Greek culture, women were supposed to be in the home. Basically, the, the literal was in the bedchamber. She was queen, but that was the only place. Outside, there was no place for her. She stayed there, and so women, even in this day, would have been seen as um, their primary role was to marry young and produce legitimate heirs and so with this woman having been married five times chances are she'd had children there was no birth control at that time but all of her children would have been illegitimate because of the succession of you know men that she had had and whoever she's with now there was no way to be able to fulfill her one role in society to produce a legitimate heir and so in all ways it was just not only can we be impressed as you know modern world western civilization women but even more so impressive to me it is for her in the culture that she was in but what it also shows is when one person has the change of the lord in their heart the culture is not strong enough to withstand that. Like, it doesn't matter because later we read that many people in her village were saved because of her testimony. And so that should also be empowering to us to, like, we can be aware of the culture. We can be sensitive to the culture today. But, and this is something I've kind of been on just lately is I think it's time for those of us who follow Jesus, not to shrink back, but to be bold, you know, not, not abrasive, but bold in telling the truth. And we yeah. could just- we cannot not do that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, so. especially where we're at in our world right now. We need that more than ever. We need women mm-hmm. to to be bold. We need just really everyone to be bold about where we're at because there's such a huge attack on Christianity right now. And yes. I, I just feel like it's now more than ever in, in our society society and in our world so we do we have to you know be brave and be bold and you know something that you know i as a mom try to teach my children and how Mm -hmm. to you know show that boldness and Mm -hmm. you know share their faith and share what it means to to follow jesus and yeah all of those things we definitely need that now more than ever
0: that's very good, do you have any like currents uh, now i 'm putting you on the spot because I, but I know your girls and I think you might have them like situations where your children have been or one of them maybe has been like able to stand up for her fate and be bold in a situation does he that like, come to you in a place where she 's done that uh,
1: yeah, yeah um, this yeah. is going to be a little controversial of about what I'm about to say, but, um, (laughs) it's okay. We're being bold. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to be really bold right now. Um, okay. And it's with our oldest and, um, she came to us earlier this year and she had said, I want to be homeschooled. And, you know, at Mm -hmm. first I was like, no, you're fine. You know, (laughs) I don't know why you Mm -hmm. would ask me to do that. Like you're almost (laughs) in your senior year or you're in the middle of your junior
0: year. Why would you ask? We're almost to the end. And, um,
1: Yeah. And so, um, she was having a lot of anxiety, a lot of, um, just, you know, just having a hard time with, again, everything that's happening in our society right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had to make that decision to where she was bold to kind of stand with her beliefs and values. Mm -hmm. And even in, even in school, Her beliefs and values are not aligning in school and with Mm -hmm. others and the things that she was seeing, the things that, you know, were being taught. She's like, these, this does not align with my beliefs and values. And so we had the conversation, um, as a family and made the decision to, you know, kind of let's go with it. Let's, let's pull you out and let's see how it goes. Um, Mm -hmm. and again, there was a lot of anxiety going on a lot of, you know, just really personal things that she was dealing with, but, Mm -hmm. you know, um, She did have, you know, some boldness in her where she had to confront, you know, some of her teachers and her school counselors and, you know, to really just stand rooted into who she is Mm -hmm. and, oh gosh, that, why am I getting emotional? (laughs) Like I'm so proud of
0: her and who she is and then she did that. That's amazing. And that is what our daughters and granddaughters need to see, because there are, they are going to have to be bold, I, I believe in their, And we all need to be, but we, they want to see us be bold and be, be demonstrated, you know, standing up for what you believe and and doing it in a way that's not offensive, but that also is not intimidated by, you know, the, that so many times the, the, fight against Christianity seems so aggressive that some of us just by nature wanna back down and be real quiet and try hard not to offend anybody. But um, I don't think it's wrong in any situation. And I actually think I would love to see a world where we have a lot more regard and respect for opposing views, where we could actually have conversations again, like I think used to be pretty healthy. When I was a child, you know, men would sit outside those little country stores and play checkers and talk politics and they would holler at each other, but then they're like still friends at the end of the day because you could be on opposing mm-hmm. views and still be friends. And um, it would be nice if we could kind of bring that kind of a thing back into our culture today. Yeah, I think.
1: absolutely. And even in that situation, like that just taught me so much about myself and about a parent Mm. and just being, you know, like, just like I said, so proud of her and, you know, just, I, by nature, I've always been just like a people pleaser. And like you said, like not wanting to offend anybody and, you know, caring about everyone's feelings, but the fact that she did what she did and she was bold enough to, to just stand for who she is. Like as a mom, I'm like, wow, like that is amazing. And she is teaching me so much.
0: That is so good. So good. All right. So here's our, this is our woman at the well, this first scandalous woman. Let's talk about the woman who was caught in adultery. So this particular woman, let me see if I can find my little notes about her. You can find her story in John chapter eight verses one through 11. And um, her whole situation is just got so many things going against her, even though she was the one who was caught in adultery, but, um, the main thing being, and I've always made a, in a women's, as a speaker to women's groups, I've always made this a a point, but it actually was an issue I've discovered, is that when the the religious leaders brought her to the temple for Jesus to um, address, they were obviously trying to just catch him in a problem, so on one hand, he had this this woman here who had legitimately been caught in adultery, their law said she had to be stoned. But on the other hand, they were under Roman rule and no one could um, uh, condemn somebody to death unless Rome, agreed with it. And so they were really trying to put him between a rock and a hard place and and make a conflict because then if he just forgave her and let her go, which they probably thought was very possible because that would be characteristic of Jesus, then he would disregard the actual law that if he were the son of God that he put in place. So in all ways, it was just like the world does today. It tries to really create scenarios where a Christian has a no-win response to it. And so Jesus, um, obviously, we know the story gets out of this by saying, um, well, first he scrouches down into the sand and he he draws something. Don't we all wish we knew that? I've heard so many messages on what did he write in the sand? And then um, he just says, he's who's without sin. You be the one to cast the stone. And of course, they got convicted by that. I can't help but think it was just like a spiritual conviction that God himself put over him. And they just walk away one at a time. He's left with the woman. And he says, where are those who condemn you? And she said, there's nobody here. And he says, then neither do I, which is just Beautiful because that's total fulfillment of John. Everybody knows John 3:16, but John 3:17, Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. And so this was just really an illustration of the reality of that truth. But back to the original statement I, I was trying to get around to making is that it was just the woman brought before Jesus. And even in the Jewish law, in their religious law the guilty party was supposed to be stoned. That would have been the man and the woman. (laughs) So even in a scenario, Mm -hmm. I almost think it could have even been a setup because they only wanted to throw the woman out there. So, you know, like they so often did, they were breaking their own laws in their attempt to try to trip, you know, Jesus up. So, So that's the story. What are your, like, when you think of the woman caught in adultery, what is your, you know, what is your personal response to this story
1: um knowing what i know now and knowing how much i struggled during that time period of my worth and you know feeling just bottom of the barrel scum of the earth because of what i had done and Mm -hmm. um but you know again just talking about you know jesus met me where i was at and Mm -hmm. you know being able to to just know that I was going to be okay. And that, um, you know, I was strong enough and, um, worthy enough, worthy enough was a really big one for me because it took me a long time to forgive myself. And to even, I questioned if, if, if Jesus still loved me, if I, you know, if, um, if he would for be able to forgive me mm. for for all of my sins,
0: and so yeah, that that story always really just kind of wow. hits me hits me hard. Wow, that's good. And I, you know, what I had just I'm working on another Bible study right now that we're doing online this summer with uh, some of the women at the church and then some women beyond the church. And I just this week it's on the um, two charcoal fires where Peter first said, I don't know him. I don't know him after he had promised that he would die with Jesus if he had to, even if everybody else denies you, I'm not never going to do that. That's what Peter said. And then at the first charcoal fire, you know, he's like, no, I'm not his disciple. And then he starts cursing and saying, he's not whatever. And then he feels like such a failure. He runs away. And then even after Jesus has resurrected and he has even seen Jesus in the resurrection, they have this second charcoal fire, and that's the one where Jesus is on the beach. They're out fishing, and he swims into shore. When he realizes it's Jesus, he's so excited to see him, but then Jesus says to him, do you love me, and Peter's like, yeah, you know, I love you. And Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. And he does this three times just to counteract the three times that Peter had ignored him. But the scenario was, I think exactly what your heart is in this story about the woman caught in adultery is Peter knew Jesus was good. Peter knew Jesus was risen. He knew Jesus was his savior. Like all these things we know if we're following Jesus, but he did not know if Jesus would still consider him worthy to actually trust him in in ministry to serve him to be a a real citizen in the kingdom work with a kingdom job to do and the reason was his self-condemnation like what you're talking about you know can jesus forgive this and jesus can you even imagine poor peter like he's using the smell of that charcoal to bring him front and center right back into that situation. Just like us probably having this conversation about this adulterous woman, God's brought you right here on this podcast, you know, to then be, this is a redemption moment. And Sonia, I think it's so powerful that you share your story boldly because you're not obviously the only one and God now is using you. Isn't that just how he is? He uses you to serve in the very spot that you thought, the devil had created a scenario where you no longer had any value and this is the very place you're serving how cool is that yeah
1: yeah and you know it's why i do what i do and why i share my story and why i'm just so transparent with my clients because i i know where they've been and i i just want to offer hope right because you know here we are we were able to put our marriage back together and it's been it's been beautiful and just so beyond blessed that Mm. we are where we're at today. And that I get to serve God in this way. Like it's just, I do, I wake up every morning and I am just so grateful and so blessed. And I thank Jesus every single Mm. day. Thank you thank you thank you
0: (laughs) that is so sweet and I can't help but just think you know a lot of people say so what what happened to this woman next like what did she do did she really clamp right yeah I think she did don't you think she did after she had this encounter with Jesus and she was um forgiven other people say well what do you think did she go back to her old way of life or did she really change and I think she really changed don't you think that she really did Oh, sure,
1: for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's yeah. almost like, you know, you just like there's a renewal in, in you, right? There's just like mm. this renewal, there's an awakening, and it's just you just something that's come over you that you just feel so, you know, just empowered, right? Just hmm. empowered to, to make those changes and to be a new person. And again, you know, when I think about, you know, her and myself and, you know, just not letting the past define you, right? Like those, yeah. I, I am not going to let my past hold me down. That is not who I am. And I, I get to be, you know, I get to be someone new.
0: That's beautiful. That is so beautiful. So what are your thoughts now? I know, I mean, that's like it for the woman and her encounter and, and what impact that had on our life. Let's talk about these religious leaders that were just trying to trap Jesus. What are your thoughts? Now, this is, can be totally fictional because I have my opinions. Everybody has theirs. What do you think Jesus was doing when he was crouching down in the dirt and drawing in it?
1: Oh gosh. Um, I mean, sending a message, obviously, right? But it mm-hmm. is. It's just like, I what is that message? What was he trying to send? Mm-hmm. And I feel like it was definitely something powerful.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Me too. I don't think he was just scribbling. Some people think that he might have been listing sins that he knew that all the people in that circle. And I would, I almost want to lean that way because of like what the conversation we just had about the woman at the well, like he did not hesitate just to bring up her worst, her worst to have that conversation with her. And to me, God's kind of like that. He knows how to bring conviction to you in a way that doesn't humiliate you in front of others, but it just penetrates your heart. Like, you know, he knows something about you that only you know. So he, like, it's a personal thing. And so I wonder if somehow he wrote it in ways that every person there could look and think, oh, like that was me. Like that, that he's talking about me right there. And then somebody else knew, oh, that was me yeah, that's what I think kind of in a way. And so they just very humbly were like, yeah, today is not the day for this, <laughs> you know, not wow. the day yeah. for this.
1: And it just stops you in your tracks and right. Like it just,
0: mm-hmm. it, it hits you and mm-hmm. yeah. Let me ask you something. Let's take one last little twist with this story. Cause it comes to my mind right now but how do religious people today sometimes seem similar to those, those guys that grabbed that woman and put her out in the circle? How can, how can that happen to people today? Even that are, I'm talking churchy religious people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, Man, I,
1: we we do see a lot of that, right? We see a lot of that mm-hmm. in, in our society today. And I think that we've always seen it. But then, you know, the the frustrating thing is it's like, just because one person or several people do it, then that's just the, you know, stigma that's been put on. And that's all of mm-hmm. Christianity. That's all of Christians. And we get put mm-hmm. into this bucket and we get put into this, you know, like, mm-hmm because one person did it we're all like that Mm -hmm. and and yeah it's um but again it's just that you know at that point in time you know we as christians definitely need to be convicted and kind of just like Mm -hmm. you know um reflection of who we are and what we stand for and what does it mean to look like jesus and be more like jesus and when you think Mm -hmm. about that and you you know just really sit on that then um you know there's there's no judgment, right? Like Jesus wouldn't, Jesus wouldn't judge. And and that's where, you know, we, we really need to aim to be. And that's how we're going to be better people, better, you know,
0: better humans, better children Mm. all around,
1: better Mm -hmm. leaders.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think there's a way that we can still stand for what is truth. And we can still um, proclaim truth in a world of a lot of shifting shadows and be accepting and non judgmental and include, inclusive and loving and compassionate. And one of the things that I have thought recently is um, the Roe v. Wade, you know, was overturned in the Supreme Court. And of course, the very liberal government is having a knee jerk reaction to that right now as we're uh, recording this podcast. And I have thought, though, many times when there's something in society as um, controversial as abortion and in our Christian worldview, because life is so precious and it's divinely created, we oppose abortion for the sake of life, but we, we sound like, and and we get accused by the opposing side that we only care about the life of the unborn. When we don't, we care about the life of, in fact, um, pregnancy centers outnumber abortion clinics three to one, and pregnancy centers are taking care of the mother. That's our way of speaking life into those unborn children, and, um, but one of the things that I, I have thought about is wouldn't it be something if the church people were so known for their compassion, their generosity, their non-judgmental spirits that any girl when she found out she was um, pregnant and felt like she had nowhere to turn, she knew that she could go to the closest church she could find and they would take care of everything. Wouldn't that be great? And I really think that we would, I think, many of us would and we've even seen in our church many um, scenarios where we have literally and it's not even a policy of the church it's just the people of the church are generous like that and when somebody comes into the church that does have desperate need the people deliver that need and I've watched lives be transformed because the generosity of our life groups pouring into people's lives and but the world still doesn't know that's who we are so I almost feel like we have to go over the top with it and we have to be very very vocal. Vocal about it to let the world know this is who we are and this is what we do. And so, if you're ever caught in a place like that where you just need help, we're here. We're, we're here, ready, available. We're going to do it. And I would, I think that that in a way, um, I don't know. Sometimes I think if Jesus were walking among us now and he came to talk to the churches, he might urge us to be a little more um, obvious in our compassion. <laughs> you know don't make that something you have to figure out you know way on down the line and um and i think that you're right you made a good point when you talked about that one or two people or a few may be very self-righteous and may have forgotten what it's like to be that person that was caught or maybe there's somebody that got saved at seven years old at bible school and never did the quote bad things and so they just don't understand what it's like and so they say silly things because they're just not thinking and there might be a few but what happens is that gets interpreted as that's the church and that's just simply not the case you know and so because the church is the one that that gives generously that provides that stays with people all the way through that you know all the things other things and that's what we want to be and i don't know i just yeah I think that you're so
1: spot on with, you know, just kind of talking about the, the woman that needs to, um, you know, or a woman that's just given birth or not sure what they want to do to go to the church mm-hmm. and how we can come, come together and, you know, mm-hmm. just to work together because You know, when you look at the other piece of it, you know, there, there's so much brokenness in our system, right. And they don't have anywhere to go. Or even when, you know, there's drugs involved and all of those things, like, where do you go? Where do you turn to? And if you're absolutely so right, like if everybody could just know to turn to your local church and you will be helped, you will be supported, you will not be judged. Right. And I, gosh, that's just such a beautiful thing. And I would love to
0: see us get there. Me too. And am I might if in case anybody happens to be listening to this who is like, yeah, I bet that's not like that. I would say to you, if you go to the first one, then go to the next one, because there will be a church that can do that. And it is legitimate. I will be honest and say, I actually witnessed that in a church in a place at one time. It wasn't in a, it wasn't in the United States though, but it could be, where they were very much had kind of a spirit of self-righteousness and were, you know, I could tell they had made this kind of alcoholic of the area an outcast. And he was so beautiful and so humble and such an alcoholic, but like, I think Jesus would have just wrapped him in his arms while they're like pointing their finger a little bit. So I do know that that does happen, but I'm here to say that I, my longing is that we as churches will really do some soul searching and, and come up even on the other sides of just, you know, we need to be able to look and act and be like Jesus so much so that the world would look foolish calling us anything different than that. That would be my desire. I think that's part of being the bride. The church is the bride of Christ and that's marriage helping in the kingdom, you know, is that when the church is, like she just looks like somebody Jesus would marry because she has the same heart and the same um, passion and she wants to make him beautiful and well-known and he wants to support and give her everything she needs, which he does. He brings his part to the table to, to, for her to reflect his glory. Like that's what it's supposed to be about. And um, wow, so many similarities to our conversation today and your work with with um, coaching marriages. Isn't that cool? <laughs> I love it.
1: Yeah, yeah, so great, so great. And I mean, just kind of, to touch on, you know, what you just said too, is I think that we can get there. I see, I see it in, I see it in the clients that I, that I coach. I see it in mm-hmm. the communities and, but it, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. And, you know, yeah. just, we, we do. I, and I, I take full responsibility that I need to do my part and be bold enough mm-hmm. to, to step out mm-hmm. there and to do more. Like I, I will take yeah. full responsibility for that. I do. That's
0: so good. And at the same time, I just wanted people to know, my goodness, like the hearts of the people that I know in the community of the faith are all have a heart for how can I serve better, how can I do better, How can I rear my children better? How can I treat my husband better? how can i um like in this abortion issue, if I'm against abortion, how can I serve women you know who are in crisis pregnancies and and um, you know go volunteer for your local centers figure out what is needed in every community there's a place that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus and and do like he did I mean he was not afraid to let his life intersect with the lives of scandalous people and what can be more exciting than being a part of sharing the love of Jesus with people that you put it in such beautiful words, Sonia, who feel like they're not seen and they're not worthy and their past has swallowed up their future. And nothing could be further from the truth. You know, one of our my favorite things, and we can kind of close out with this about our kids ministry is they say it's where children are seen, heard, and loved. And I love that because it's like the, here is where you matter you matter. And it is like that. And I want every woman who's listening to this podcast to know that you matter to Jesus. And if you haven't heard anything else from Sonia, I I hope that you've heard that no matter what your story is, he loves you. He does not judge you. He meets you right where you are and um, your future can be bright because he can transform and take what has been heaped on you. And if it matters at all, it just matters for what good he's going to bring out of the future. And that's, that's truth, isn't it, Sonia?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you just have to trust the process and put all of your faith in Jesus and he's got you.
0: God's got you. That's good. That's good. Thank you, Sonia, so much. We're going to end with that. God's got you. I love it. (laughs) Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for
1: having me, Leanne. It's been such an honor and I just, um, I'm so, so glad that I got to be a part of the prayer clinic podcast today.
0: Thank you. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Prayer Clinic Podcast. I knew that you would love Sonia. Don't you love her? We'll try to have her back sometime. Um, Also, I want to remind you that it is a great and easy way to witness and to share truth Um, from God's Word, simply to share this podcast with women that you know. And so if you think of anyone, if any of your friends or family members came to mind while you were listening to our conversation, mine and Sonia's, about these scandalous women, then just uh, share this podcast with your friends, with your family members, and encourage them in their walk with Jesus. You will also help our podcast gain um, even a greater audience by giving us a rating and also by subscribing. And when you subscribe, you'll never miss a single episode of the Prayer Clinic podcast. I also want to remind you that the prayer clinic is a ministry, an intercessory prayer ministry that will mobilize the people in your church to pray. We believe that when we work, we work, but when we pray, God works. And I believe that God is eager to demonstrate his glory on the platform of our church's lives. And it'll be through vital dynamic prayer ministries that he does this. So if you'd like to know more about the prayer clinic ministry and how you might be able to start a prayer clinic in your church, uh, please come on over to our prayerclinic.com website to learn more about the prayer clinic ministry. And also in just a few weeks, we're going to be hosting a prayer clinic open house for prayer leaders and interested people um, in the churches who might like to know more, that open house will be at Thompson Station Church in Thompson Station, Tennessee, and it's actually taking place on a Wednesday. So this particular open house will give you guys who are on staff or who have um, responsibilities on Sundays and can't get away from your churches, it'll give you a chance to come and learn more about the prayer clinic ministry. You can find out more about this upcoming open house at prayerclinic.com. Well, there you have it today, my friends. I hope that you'll join us again next week. I have a very exciting episode coming up with two women that I admire so much. Chris Adams will be back with me again. Um, I've interviewed her and her daughter uh, previously in the past. And then also, I'm going to get to introduce you to my good friend, Simone Monroe. Both of these women are very well known as women's ministry leaders, they are pioneers, really in the realm of women's ministry in the local church. And so um, you'll get to have a, or I guess participate in and listen to the conversation that Chris and Simone and I have together in next week's podcast when we talk about the two Marys, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene, a key disciple, a follower of Jesus. So take care of my praying people. Keep the prayers going. And I look forward to talking with you and connecting with you next time.